girl standing in the line for the bathroom. All the girls standing in the line for the bathroom. It's the Going Off Podcast with Rap Critic and Muse. You proud of that? Hey there, RC. Yeah. How you doing this week? <laughs> <laughs> oh, everyone's having a good time. I can't remember why I was thinking of this. It was something to do with like some fraudulent stuff that was going on on the internet, but... um. I had remembered when I was like way younger, right? When I was just, you know, starting to do music and stuff, right? Uh, I wanted to copyright some of my earlier songs, you know. Hey, you never know, oh, just in yeah. case they blow up, you know what I'm saying? Get the copyright on them. I'm like, maybe 13 or something like that at the time, right? Dang, okay. Dude, I started early. I guess so. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> Couple of days later, I get a, uh, a letter from some company. Uh, oh, oh, I think it was like, or something like that. And they had sent me, you know, a letter saying like, hey, you know, we heard your music and we want to help you master it and, you know, send this money in and da 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 And I went to my mom, I was like, oh my God, I got a letter from a record company. This is insane. Like, I mean, I've never heard of it before, but you know, like, you know, this stuff happens. Yeah. It wasn't saying like, we, you know, we're going to fly you out to California. We're going to do on this. It was like, uh, send us your demo tape and we will master it. And then I was like. That's kind of weird. Why wouldn't you do... You know what I mean? Why would you want to do that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Why wouldn't you just want me to come record new stuff, you know? Yeah. But I was like, all right, but, you know, that's at least kind of cool. Yeah, get the foot in the door, okay, whatever. I don't know how this whole thing works. And, you know, just something in the back of my brain is just, like, nibbling at me, right? And then my mom was like, we should look this up online. Like, let's see what this company is. You know, thank God for the internet, right? Yeah. And we look it up, and we look up, like, uh, I think it's on ripoffreport.com or something like that. Oh. And it was just like, yeah, this place is a complete scam. Like, don't fall for this for a second. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, yo. And what I had found out is that when you send your lyrics in to get, like, copyrighted in the Library of Congress and things like that, well, the thing is, it kind of becomes, like, public record in a way that, like, people can see, like, oh, yeah, that was copywritten, you know? Like, you can oh, see it, but yeah. you can't use that idea, you know? And uh, a lot of scam companies like to do is they like to, you know, send letters out to anyone who looks like they're a really small artist trying to get their stuff copyrighted to be like, hey, look, we'll help you out with this. Send us some money and we could do da-da-da XYZ with you. You know what I mean? Whoa. And I remember I was so goddamn angry dude oh yeah i bet they're fucking taking advantage of a 13 year old yeah i was fucking livid i was so fucking mad (laughs) like i actually like ripped up the letter i think i might have set it on fire but like like it was like a thing where it was like like my mom was like i i get it i understand (laughs) you know i understand why you want to make a thing out of this i've been watching a lot of nardwar videos recently i've been binging those and I never heard any of the rappers or any of the artists, like, tell that story. That that feels like a very specific thing to you. And I guess just not a lot of people would think to try to copyright their stuff. You you were very forward-thinking for for a 13-year-old, is, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I tried to do things the legal way, you know? Like, I was watching Lil Uzi Vert's video, and at no point did he talk about being scammed by a fake record label, but, you know, I guess it's different times. Maybe they just don't want to talk about it, because it is kind of like, it does kind of <laughs> feel bad, like, oh, there's that false hope, you know? Or, or, maybe they've fallen for it, and they don't want to admit the shit. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's true. If it did happen, Nardwar would be the one to go, tell me about Sun Blank Records, and they'd be like, oh, son of a bitch, he found out. <laughs> Lost my first two mixtapes to that shit. <laughs> um, but a young me, around that same age, I just graduated high school, and I got a letter in the mail uh, from this organization that was like, hey... Uh, we put together a book of all these people who have a certain grade point average or higher in kind of like its own special yearbook of like these high achievers or whatever. So you get your name in the book and all the accomplishments. So if you send 50 bucks, you get a copy of this book. And I'd made a video and, and about this. And they were planning this. on scamming the, the smartest kids with this. Yeah, see, that's the thing. <laughs> I, I was right on that cusp because I wasn't an honor student or anything. I had a decent grade point average. I think I graduated with like a 3.75. Like, I wasn't a 4 or or higher. It was decent. Uh, we actually get the copy of the book in the mail, the uh, Who's Who of American High School Students. It felt prestigious. You know, you get your fucking name in print in this book of all these high-achieving students. So I got it in the mail... And I'm looking it over, and it's like, all right, Mark Muse, 3.75. It said the high school I graduated from. It got, like, two of the clubs I was in right. And then it went on to be like, he was on the volleyball team. I was like, no. He was in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Uh, no. Like, it made up all this shit. So it gave me, like, a paragraph of all these clubs I wasn't in. And I was just like, what the fuck is this? It just felt like a giant scam. Wait, was this like some sort of weird Amanda Show level, like, pay <laughs> us and we'll give you a fake yearbook to show to your parents if you flunked out of high school? <laughs> like, no, 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 it was like, it was, it was really just like a book of names and then under the names it had the grade point average of the high school and whatever. So it was like across the country. Of people who were also duped to sending them That's 50 bucks. Weird. It was the weirdest fucking thing, so I Those just got it. Those little scams, man. For 50 bucks? They fucking got 50 goddamn bucks from me. Dude. That, and out of all the kids in that book, I can only imagine how much money they fucking rake in on a yearly basis if, if, if they still do Right? It. And you know what's insane? It's like, people pull schemes like that all the fucking time, all across this great country. So it's like, how many millionaires are there <laughs> off of the backs of, like, shitty stuff like this? You know what I mean? You know what I, I was also thinking about people who just get rich off this shit? You, you always hear this around the holidays. The, uh, send them the gift of a star. Hmm? You ever hear commercials for this? I remember when I was in elementary school... Uh, oh, kids like would the, actually yeah, fucking, you pay kids, for <laughs> kids would stand in front of the class and go, my parents named a star after me. Man. And you send them money and they actually just like pick a random ass star. They, it is a legit thing they do. What the fuck does it mean? Yeah. You know, like they pay the money, they pick a star at some random coordinate that doesn't already have a name. Attached to it, presumably. There's really no way of knowing. And they just sent you a certificate saying, Oh yeah, this is your star at these coordinates. It's named after you now. You get the certificate, 
and the pride of knowing that maybe the star you're looking at might possibly kind of sort of be named after you, maybe. And the reality of the situation is, this is a company with, like, millions of, or at least, like, thousands of uh, customers. They couldn't be given the same exact name to someone else. How the fuck are you going to know? That's what I'm thinking, right? Like, and- <laughs> It could be the exact same goddamn one. And if, like, if you're dumb enough to, like, go for this, like, you're probably not going to ask, you know? <laughs> and you're never going to be watching the news... We're watching National Geographic or whatever, and some star out in space supernovas or fucking turns into a giant black hole or some shit. They're not going to say, oh, yeah, uh, the Amanda star. Like, oh, it was mine. Oh, no, I got to get a refund because my fucking star exploded. Like, there's probably a whole bunch of other like scams and shit that people feel. We, we need to do that in the comment section. We need to like ask people like, what are scams that you heard about? And, you know, you don't got to say whether or not you fell for it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment here. If you were duped or scammed by uh, by one of these types of companies or when we didn't mention specifically, we'd like to hear about some new ones. Yeah. Let us know in the comment section or on Twitter. We'd uh, we'd like to hear about them. Mm-hmm. Happens to the best of us, bro. <laughs> or at least that's what we say to ourselves. A little more information has unfolded. The beef between Pusha T and Drake, or should we say, uh, Drake and Kanye. As you watch this episode of uh, The Shop, which is uh, LeBron's new TV show, I mean, it, it's kind of like, you know, celebrities and their friends hanging out, so, like, they don't really, they're not going to say anything that's going to be like, ooh, but this is really getting deep, and we're going, you know what I mean? So it's just like... Yeah, it's, it's not a fucking Barbara Walters interview, it's a fucking casual hang type thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a lot of it was kind of fluff, but then when they got into the beef, it was like, oh, okay, that was actually really interesting. At least from Drake's perspective, it was like, Kanye invited them to hang out and write music. He showed him the, the Lift Yourself beat, and he was like, oh, yeah, th- yo, that beat sounds really cool. It's like, And he was like, hey, man, you can use it if you want. He's like, oh, I can't. Oh, that's awesome. And so, you know, he's he, he thinks that the beat is his and that he's going to, you know, use it for himself. Drake tells Kanye about, like, when his album is dropping, when he's planning it and stuff. And, you know, you know, just conversations, stuff like that. They're working on stuff and all this sort of stuff. He also talks to uh, Kanye about, you know, him having a kid before anyone really knew about it and that all of these things that he's talking about are kind of why uh after you know after he left it was like a couple of days later he hears the lift yourself beat which is put out like a troll record and you know drake kind of doesn't know how to feel about that he's like wait but i thought you said that was my beat to you and you're giving it to me for free why would you spoil it by putting this whack track out and you know i can't make a rap over this now because now it's your song and it's the joke song that everyone's gonna remember you know and then uh, uh all these albums uh that kanye west is doing you know the kids see ghosts the Pusha t album kanye's uh album they're all coming out around the same time that drake told kanye he was putting his album out so he's kind of like Wait, what, what's going on? Like, and then on top of that, one of the albums that's coming out is, uh, Daytona, which has the Pusha T disc record to Kanye. 
And he's just like, what the fuck is going on? I was just working with you guys. Why are you angry at me now? That's why. See, I remember I was kind of confused when I, I went back and listened to my Who Won episode where I broke down Pusha T's diss to uh, Drake and, you know, the first two before the story of Adidon, before it just made that whole video null and void. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. That's how it always happens. And I ended up taking points away from it because I was just like, I mean, you're dissing Pusha T. Make the track about Pusha T. If you want to diss Kanye, make a track dissing Kanye. But to, like, have, like, one target and then, like, randomly throw, like, shots at him, it's just like, well, it just feels like it doesn't fit on here. It's just detracting time away from your point of attacking this guy. By the time Pusha T puts out the story of Adidon, Drake is, like, really sitting back and going, like, yo, okay, there's a lot of weird coincidences happening right now. It's kind of similar to Eminem. You know, there is that sort of sense of like, okay, I'm not just going to sit here and just let you do little, like, things that I perceive to be jabs. And the reason why I'm breaking this down is not just, like, an Agaza thing. It's because I actually find this kind of interesting in the sense of, like, this doesn't just feel petty. This feels like something is fundamentally wrong here. And it does feel like, again, and we've talked about this before when it comes down to rap beefs, if it is outside of a he said, she said, gossipy, petty little thing, and this actually is something that, like, hurt you business-wise, or, like, seriously, like, hurt you on a personal level, why do you have to bring it to the table in a diss track? Why, as two professionals, who I'm sure y'all run in similar circles? Yeah, you couldn't have just texted him and be like, hey, what's up with your album coming out around mine? What's going on there? Yeah, or, like... hey, what's up with that troll record? Like, what the fuck? I thought you gave me that beat. It makes it feel extra trivialized when it's like, oh no, I just... I, I held it in and I didn't mention it to him, but I let him find out in this diss track to push a T. It's hard to think of it as a listener from the outside looking in of how well these musicians know each other or how easily they can get a hold of each other. If they were just working on some tracks together... uh, Oh, and I think that was also a bit of the deception. Uh, This was before Kanye West announced that he was putting out an album. Because remember, the whole production for it was really quick. When Drake was invited out to Wyoming by Kanye, he didn't think that they were even, like, really working on an album. It was just like, oh, yeah, we're working on some beats. I'm Kanye West. Of course I'm always working on beats. You know, and maybe I could toss you some, you know. And then, oh, yeah, you can work with me on some tracks. And, you know, we're doing some stuff together. It's like, I didn't know, like, whoa, you were doing, like, this whole rollout that's going to be near the time of my rollout. Yeah, so they definitely have each other's contacts at the very least. Yeah. It's a fucking setting up meetings and shit. In a small way, if someone wants to be a conspiracy theorist about this, like, (laughs) you kind of can. It's like, you mean these guys who all know each other just didn't happen to text each other back like, yo, that was kind of fucked up. What was up with that? That's what I'm saying. (laughs) We need a fucking, and I say we need, we probably have a million of them on YouTube. We need a fucking Alex Jones of hip hop. Oh my God, dude. What if, what if... All the beefs in hip-hop, going back to the very beginning, were all fake. They're all fake, and they're all for publicity. And every time you heard about uh, fucking Tupac being out in Malaysia or whatever the fuck the latest rumor is, it's actually true, but we're just like, (laughs) but like the news is just like committed to the kayfabe. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because it's like... When rappers do end up getting killed over beefs or whatever, it doesn't seem like it's related to the actual 
beef, it seems like it's an outside thing. Except maybe the Birdman, Young Thug, Lil Wayne thing. That might be related. Yeah, see, again, it's like there's kind of this shady sort of like, hmm. And and you never fucking find out the specifics. Like, it's all very hush-hush. Those are either the real, real beefs or they're orchestrated. But but the ones where it's like fucking Nelly versus Chingy, where they like don't even know each other, and it's just like, oh, I heard that you're doing my style. It's just like that's stupid, you know. The Shaggy Two Dope Fred Durst beef. That one has to be real. <laughs> Are they gonna say I planned all along? <laughs> I know we talked about it briefly last week. I saw a video where it was like multiple angles. And there was one shot where it's a makeupless Shaggy 2 Dope, like, talking to his camera going, Oh my god, is that him? Yeah, that's him. <laughs> oh my god! He just, lo- he just looks like some guy! <laughs> so the thing is, I think Todd last week asked if he was in makeup. I don't think there's any recognizing him without the makeup. Yeah! He just thought he was dropkicked by some fucking dude. He had to have. And something to point out, I think he did this alone. He didn't do this with Violent J. This seemed like a an independent effort on Shaggy 2 Dope's part, which makes it all the weirder, which I wonder how Violent J feels about it. Do you think this is like in 2000 at the VMAs? when Limp Bizkit won for, like, Best Rock Album or something, and one of the members of Rage Against the Machine got up on stage and, like, climbed up on, like, the stage set up and was, like, rocking back and forth on it, like, in, pr- in protest of I'm Limp I'm gonna need Bizkit. a clip of this. Yeah, this was a big fuck deal, and uh, afterwards, uh, Zach De La Roca, the lead singer, was like, he was fucking mad. Cause he like Are it you wasn't serious? It was just this dude. He was like, hey, I thought it would I thought it would have fallen over or something. And it's like, you probably would have died, you lunatic. But yeah, I think we were theorizing that that might be one of the reasons Rage broke up. Because Zach was like, You need to calm the fuck down. You're making an embarrassment of this group. Arrested! <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't even get the rest of the story. I was just like, because you see the footage and you see him like jumping up there like, yeah, I'm rocking that. Uh, I'm about to be part of this moment too. I'm about to have my fucking proto-Kanye moment. <laughs> Rage Against the Machine were protesting like racial injustice. Yeah. And all of this. And it's like, how much does a fucking moon man mean to you? Yeah, that's the thing. It's just like, wh- what are you do- Like, I can only think this dude was, like, high or drunk or some shit. Because I can't imagine... Like, what is the actual... Uh, what is the cogent point behind getting angry over a moon man? i got to go back to the video, though. I wanted to watch the, uh, the, the different angle. Yeah. What a pussy, It's one guy. Calm down, it's one guy. Well, it's two guys. <laughs> immediately. Just immediately. Like, as soon as he was on the stage, they immediately had people apprehending him. Two things that I love about that video, besides the dropkick, besides the, what a pussy, couldn't even do it. <laughs> are one 
how Shaggy walks out on stage. He, like, throws his hands up like, yeah, I'm here too. <laughs> yeah, like, dude, no one knows who you are. <laughs> like, like, anyone in the audience was going to go, oh, shit, look out, Fred. It's Shaggy Tutope of ICP, clearly. Who else could it be? None other. <laughs> My other favorite thing is how shitty Fred Durst sounds as he's getting dropkicked because he's singing Faith. <laughs> he sounds so bad. <laughs> I wasn't sure what he was doing. I thought he was just like having fun with the crowd or something like that. This is such an absurd moment! So it was during the ending of fucking Faith! (laughs) That has to be in every fucking... You know what that has to be in? That has to be in YouTube Rewind of 2018. George Michael! Look at... (laughs) They just need to have Shaggy 2 Dope try to dropkick fucking YouTubers. The tribute we didn't know we were waiting for. <laughs> like, but as I hear it at the end, I do hear the, the beginning intonation, the, Fah! and then it just goes, <laughs> it starts out okay. Yeah. And then you just have some guy, as far as the audience is concerned. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know until they fucking went home and saw it online. Like, they had no idea. Because, you know, like, uh, we have the context of, you know, someone specifically saying to us, oh, hey, did you see the video of uh, Shaggy 2 Dope doing blah, da 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 But for them, they went to a concert to Limp Biscuit for some reason, and they were just like, wait a minute, who is that guy? Is that someone from, like, early in the band? I don't remember. Another hype man. Wait, <laughs> what's he doing? <laughs> yeah, there's a guy in the front who's like, oh shit, am I going to have to catch Fred Durst? <laughs> this is not the responsibility I thought I'd have to do today. <laughs> you want to talk about these albums? Yeah, I think I think that's the light-hearted uh, nature we needed to counteract um, one of the albums we're going to be reviewing today. Oh, the feel-good album of the year. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, let's start out with uh, with the older one, obviously. Requested by Melanie... B- uh, hold on. Requested by Melanie Bachard, I'm going to guess. Uh, I Just Can't Stop It by The English Beat. You know, it's funny. The first Patreon-requested album we covered on the show mm. was uh, Real Big Fish. Mm-hmm. So, we got the third wave ska, now we got the second wave ska from <laughs> fucking 1980, and if there's an album that you would like to hear us talk about on the show, it is as simple as a one-time Patreon pledge to uh, patreon.com slash rapcritic, or patreon.com slash muse, check the pages for details. Darren, when you asked me <laughs> what we were talking about this week... Did you fucking have fucking Ska from 1980 in your expectations? No, no, I did not. And as a matter of fact, when I saw it on Spotify, 
it said like 2012 or something like that. So I was like, oh, 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 right. yes, this, the remaster. Yeah, and I was like, this sounds a little older. Than this. But here's <laughs> the the funny thing is, I'm thinking like, oh, this is what are they talking about? 2012. Wow, uh, this sounds more like 1992. Little did I fucking know. Me personally, uh, a little bit of background. I've listened to a good bit of uh, 80s uh, ska punk. I'm uh, more partial to the specials uh, than I am the English beat. I've never really given them a shot or a chance. So this is my first time having listened to the album. And uh, it's kind of a mixed bag, I would say. It had some definite hits. And in my opinion, it had some definite misses. I'm just reviewing this in my 2018 goggles you know maybe this was like revolutionary in uh in 1980 but it hasn't aged well uh particularly i'm gonna throw it over to you first darren um what did you think of uh i just can't stop it by the the beat or the english beat when i started playing it and started hearing the ska i I was immediately kind of like oh shit here we go someone our fans out there just know that i like ska and are just sending me <laughs> just ska shit to listen to. Uh, as well, I'm also into, uh, you know, Shaba Ranks and, uh, and Patra, if anyone wants to request those type of genres of music too, you know. While I, I definitely did enjoy it the first time through, especially, man, bro, Twist and Crawl? Woo! Mmm. Fire! Twist and Crawl, Twist and Crawl, Twist and... I, I'm never gonna forget that. <laughs> <laughs> that is officially one of the great, like, yo, <laughs> that shit is so fucking, like, you cannot listen to that song and not do a little shimmy. <laughs> just a crawl, just a crawl, just a crawl. Hey, just, oh man, that shit was on fire. You can't not skank to click click. Oh yeah. That was with the trigger, 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 faster, faster, faster. Oh my God. It's like building up and then at the very end, it's just that, stop. It's so fucking hot. I love Click Click. And that one was weird because I'm pretty sure that one was about someone about to pull the trigger on themselves. See, you know what? My favorite tracks on the album are uh, the heavier topics, actually. Uh, My two highest ranked songs on the album are uh, Click Click and Two Swords. Oh, yes. And while I may not exactly agree with the message of Two Swords, musically, that fucking song is great. Uh, it's like fast tempo skate punk. As I was listening to it, as it was making this point, I was like, man, yeah, you're right, but you know. <laughs> the lesson, the metaphor he's trying to make here is the, the fighting with the Two Swords only sharpens the swords, which I don't know if that's true, but it sounds good. And what he's saying here basically is that, um, you know, especially in the uh, ska punk community, especially in the 80s, uh, there was a very heavy uh, skinhead uh, Nazi element. Uh, you can just look towards uh, Dead Kennedy's Nazi punks fuck off, which is the stark contrast to this song. Well, I wouldn't say Stark. I wouldn't say Stark. Well, this song is a bit more accepting because they're saying, you it's know... It's definitely taking a centrist perspective. Yeah, it says, uh, you gotta treat each other like brothers even though the cunts are Nazi. 
I, like, it's not treating it specifically as like, oh, well, I mean, both our views are valid here, but, you know, let's be civil. No, he's still saying, no, let's call it what it is. But, like, at the end of the day, what we should ultimately be trying to do is, you know, change people's minds. I know, I know that's really fucking hard to do, but it's just like, the only other thing is fucking war with with someone you know what i mean and it's just like and i feel like someone like him is sort of looking at it as like dude guys like we are fucking in this together can we please like chill on this shit this is the lyric that i like that he brought up he said uh are we fighting the front or just fighting a front sometimes it's hard to see the left from the right are we angry or are we looking for peace or just trying to win a war by killing the enemy off the line that kind of got an eye roll for me because I've heard it a lot lately because, unfortunately, the song resonates a lot in today's society. Um, it's very relatable. Yeah. Uh, it applies to 2018 America. Uh, the line that basically said, by fighting fascists, it makes you a fascist. Like, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I'm saying, like... Lyric-wise, message-wise, I might not agree with it, but as a song itself, it was one of my favorites. Looking this over, because I got a lot of threes, a lot of three and a halves, songs I didn't like as much, and we'll see if we disagree here. The Tears of a Clown cover, I wasn't a big fan no, Yeah, of. you're absolutely right, absolutely right. Uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting song to cover, um... Ska Punk and Punk in general do oftentimes pick very unlikely songs, uh, but this one, its inclusion on the album felt a little confusing. The simplified riff was an interesting take on it, um, but the only thing I ended up liking, which happens to be the saving grace in a lot of the songs that I don't particularly care for... Let me guess. Is the sax solo. <laughs> the fucking sax solo saves Ooh, was a, a, lot of the, a lot of the songs that are like, eh, that pushes it over the edge. The ones that were like on the fence, the mm -hmm. sax pulls it through. Um, I kind of felt the same about the other cover. The yep. um, Can't Get Used to Losing You. Wow. Which the Andy Williams classic. Yeah, and we are of one mind on that one. The thing that they do that I'm not a fan of is how, like, you pointed it out on Twitter that y you brought it to my attention that that was the song that Beyonce sampled for Hold Up. Listening to the English beat song, you'd never know because the iconic punchy chords that open the Andy Williams classic, they're, like, downplayed severely. Yeah. What I wrote down as far as the lyrics go is that it's so sped up that it doesn't capture the emotion, and I likened Definitely. it to when you're playing a video game, and you're at a cutscene, and you're just mashing X to get through the cutscene. <laughs> That's what it felt like. They were just fucking running through the lyrics to get to get it over with. And it's like, no, dude, these lyrics are supposed to actually, like, like they're supposed to hold some weight and emotion, but I'm not getting it because you're going through it so fucking fast. Yeah, and, you know... Just the vocal delivery felt lazy to me. It, it felt like they weren't as into it. I can swear there were some times in the lower notes, it felt like there was just air coming out, like they were barely singing it. Um, there were karaoke levels of reverb, I noticed that. Oh, shit, I didn't notice that. <laughs> like, you know, like this straight up sounded like uh, um, 
a cover on a, on a cheap karaoke thing. Like, it was like, like, UB40 at their worst, sort of. You know what I'm trying to say? I did get that with Tears of a Clown, now that you mentioned mm-hmm. that. I do remember hearing that. And, and I say that as someone who actually likes UB40, right? Like, I, I like Kingston Town. I like Higher Ground or something like that. But it's not the Stevie Wonder one. The other ones I wasn't too keen on. And here's where I think we might butt heads. Rough Rider? Nah, I'm still with you on that one. I didn't like that. <laughs> when I hear the super reggae tracks is when I'm like, Darren was probably feeling this. But again... <sighs> but nah. <laughs> you, you would think. <laughs> <laughs> you would think. You thought wrong. <laughs> um, w- but again... The sax was the saving grace yep, of an otherwise <laughs> boring track. <laughs> Batting a thousand here. All right. Okay. Um, so my thing that I thought was interesting about this track is it kind of just meanders a little bit with no topic. She was a rough rider, a cool stroker, a strong whiner, and all these things I'm thinking of, like, these specifically sound sexual. Like, she was great at fucking, but then she left me. Like, and I was like, all right, well, that's a weird way to present this. That was a thing that kind of comes up a lot in that not only is this album from 1980, but it's also a British release. When you get to songs like Wine and Grind slash Stand Down Margaret, they're very slang heavy. Mm, or, I'm like, I don't know what that means. Or, <laughs> like, I don't know what that means. She's, see, see, the thing about it is uh, they do have a Jamaican dude in the group or, or a dude who's of West Indian descent, but... Most of them are actually just British. You got three white dudes and three black dudes, which makes for a very interesting mix there. It makes it not feel so kind of cringy when you got the more reggae songs. Yeah. Like, like, for example, when you listen to Sublime and you got a song that's really heavy handed in the, it's like, bo, bo, and it's like got all the jaw shit. Don't start that riot. (laughs) This is three fucking white dudes from California. Maybe... Maybe not with that shit. Maybe try to... Maybe a little heavier on the punk. Maybe not so much of the reggae shit, because it gets a little cringy. Uh, the hands off, she's mine. You know what they do? The, uh, they they cut the H off. Hands off, she's mine. I was just like, alright, stop. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that was like, if that's the black dude doing it, that's A-OK. If it's not... And and when he does show up, you know, he's kind of, he's kind of like the, you know, like the Swayze of the group, you know. Oh, yeah. Real, real light. He's not really saying anything too complicated. He's barely rhyming. Are you talking about the ends off me daughter verse? Yeah, which was confusing because I was like, wait, I thought... It was about your girlfriend. I'm guessing it's like two different voices coming from two different perspectives. Yeah. I guess. And, I don't know. I don't know. Or, or is, you know what? I don't even want to think about that. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> I, I didn't mind that song. Um, I thought it was a little awkward, but uh, I thought it was all right. It was it was a nice change from uh, Mirror in the Bathroom, which is, by the way, uh, English beats like, most well-known hit. As the album went on, it, it felt like it was more of its uh, uniquely sort of ska self, but as it started off, I could hear a very strong, like, sting-like uh, uh, similarity, you know? It was, like, an instantly recognizable guitar riff and, like, a reggae drum fill, which was like, oh, shit, all right. And then the sax came in, and then, like, for the second verse, there was, like, this loud, overbearing guitar 
And then in the third verse, they like layered them on top of each other. And I was like, oh shit, okay. I, I liked Mirror in the Bathroom more uh, musically than I did lyrically. Because lyrically, it's just about talking to yourself in a mirror in the bathroom and slowly losing your sanity. That's not really an interesting enough of a topic to really write a whole song about. Twist and Crawl, it is about something, but it's just like every time I listen to it, it you know how they say like there's some songs where it's like, basically, if you're not hooking me in with the beat, I gotta be understanding what you're saying. And with that one, you know, my brain was completely turned off. I'm like, nah, nah, you feeling that beat? You don't need to pay attention to this shit, bro. It's a song about moving on after a breakup, but in the context, I'm, I don't know what Twist and Crawl means. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, all right. Uh, what, what was the song? There was, oh, Best Friend, that's what it was. This is the production that sounds like straight up like 90s. Like, this kind of sounded like ahead of its time with how, I don't know, it just sounded more modern than 1980. And, and maybe that just showed like how much people were still kind of like aping off of that style by then. I liked that when it was like bouncy and it was, it was more fun than, uh, than some of the other ones. I didn't care for ranking full stop. No, not at all. That was another one of the uh, the dude, uh, Rankin dude, uh, rapping on the track. And I was like, I'm just not. I didn't realize this was 1980 when I first listened to it. So I do have to give it some some slack. Like, yes, people were rapping at this point. But some people weren't really taking it that seriously. They were just looking at it as sort of like, um, y- you ever heard uh, the dub reggae remix? That Gorillaz joint. It's on the Gorillaz uh, uh, Gorillas versus Space Monkeys album. You know, my mom knew, or, or someone knew that I was into Gorillas when I was younger. And so they got me, for some reason, they got me every album but Gorillas debut album. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, they got me G-Sides, and then someone else knew that I liked Gorillas, and so they got me Gorillas versus Space Monkeys. And I remember being like, I mean, I'm still gonna listen to it because it's Gorillas, and like, holy crap, this music I didn't even know existed before, but I kind of wanted the the main one. <laughs> there was the dude that, this is you, brown Navatons. You remember that? Nah, I can't say I've heard that. Um, I used to fucking love that joint. Um, that's kind of... See, that's where I thought uh, a lot of uh, Jamaican music was kind of going at the time. I thought it was kind of going in the way of dub. And that was still mm. around. But, like, I didn't realize how big Ska was comparatively. So I was kind of on the dub end because th- th- that's kind of what I was listening to. And then, of course, when dubstep came up, I was like, wait, this is a lot more high, er- high energy. What the fuck? <laughs> Rankin Full Stop. The issue that I have is specifically that it has such a standard ska beat. Yeah. It's like so fucking textbook and it's just boring. And, and anything that Rankin is saying over it, it just sounds like a freestyle. And yeah, the thing is, there are good and bad freestyles, right? Because, you know, uh, you know that... um the sample from that Kanye West song, you know, it is a weeping and a morning and a national teeth funny dance floor and them no teeth. You know, it's like that, that is also like chatting, you know, this sort of, that's what they kind of called it. It's like, you're not really rapping, you're not really rhyming because this is when we're still kind of like formulating what like hip hop kind of is as a thing, you know? So like, and that's why I was kind of like, okay, retroactively, all right, I, I do have to give it kind of points for this. We're still developing hip hop at this point. He says, uh, you tell me how can it work in this all white law? What a short, sharp lesson. What a, what a third world war. And it's like, oh, wow, this all is going to be really serious. 
And then it goes back to him saying, she want a rough, rough rider. He want a cool, cool stroker. And it's like, wait, but I thought you were talking about World War II and racism. What's happening? I, I assume they're talking about Margaret Thatcher in Stand Down Margaret. I haven't looked into it, but I could assume because it's talking about like, Stand Down Margaret and they don't want a third world war. I figured that's where they were going. And it's like, if this is your fucking attempt at a political track, like, man, you fucking, you were really pulling those punches. Like, Jesus. There was a good bit of that kind of freestyle rapping in Jackpot, too. Yeah, I, I just don't like his energy. It's it's lackadaisical in a way that's not really that engaging, you know? Music-wise, though, it uh, it kind of felt like a jam session, especially with the horns was kind of like freeform, and I like the random uh, electric uh, organ making an appearance, and uh, I don't know if this was an inspiration or not, but uh, if anyone's heard the song Join the Club by uh, by Real Big Fish, uh, the intro has this uh, point where we're going, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, 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 and it was like, oh, shit, that's in Jackpot. I wonder if they might have, like, got the inspiration from fucking uh, English Beat. Big Shot, Noise in the World, and Best Friend, uh, for me, I all had uh, put down as threes. They're all right. You know what sucks about this album is that uh, Genius doesn't have all the fucking lyrics on there. And yeah. when it does, especially in the, in the song uh, Noise in the World, uh, there's a lot of, I guess that's what they're saying, and a lot of question marks. And it's like, that's not helping. There was a section in Noise in the World at the very end where it started getting really cool musically. And then it like faded out like almost immediately. And I was annoyed. Yeah, I remember that. I was that. wanting that to go on longer. As much as I don't like Jackpot, it is a good outro. It is. It is. It's a really fun kind of like, yeah, this is this. Is, it's like a real fun, like over the outro credits type jam. Like yeah, He literally know. says, goodbye, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this works. This actually fits. Um, overall, though, uh, what would you give the album? Oh, this is definitely a three. I got a three on the money. The other request, though, is from your... Uh, your Patreon, and it's uh, Father John Misty and Pure Comedy. Man, John Speziale uh, requested this one. Thank you very much for your donation, and wow. So, you know, we like to listen to these albums twice, and uh, given Father John Misty's uh, lyrical content, after listening to it that first time and then being like, gotta listen to it again. Uh, here <laughs> here we like, go again. Man, you gotta take, you look down, you take that long drag from that cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an Elton John album. That's exactly what I was thinking. But with the cynicism of uh, Warren Zevon, his songs are also kind of like looking at life in a fucking very like uh, pessimistic kind of way. And, uh,. That's what I kind of got here in the middle of the Venn diagram of Elton John on one side and Warren Zevon. You got Father John Misty in the middle. Pure comedy literally explains all of life, right? <laughs> That's track one. Track one explains life. <laughs> and I don't think I'm not like, don't underestimate what I'm saying when I say this. <laughs> you you're not underselling it. Um the, and, the pure I'm sorry. And, and, oh, I just wanted to get this point out. After listening to this song which is 
basically a mini album unto itself. Yeah. Uh-huh. You you then come out of that song like, wow, that was fucking heavy. And then you realize this is a six minute song and we still have an hour and eight minutes to go. Mm. <laughs> there are some songs I enjoyed throughout the album. More peaks than valleys. Pure comedy as an overarching uh, kind of theme is that Life is a comedy in that it's full of tragedy and irony. And the fact of the whole matter is that no matter how important you think your life is, it doesn't mean shit. Thanks, Father John Misty. (laughs) (laughs) This is, uh, this was quite a fucking, uh, this beat you over the fucking head, didn't it? (laughs) God damn. This is, again, a polymer type album where it's just like, I recognize this is absolutely breathtaking, incredible. There was so much thought put into this. But holy God, man, I can't listen to this. (laughs) Like, I can't listen to this twice, that's for fucking sure. It really is one of those moments like, I'm giving you your props. I don't want to take that away from you in any capacity. But Jesus Christ. (laughs) All right, we go from the explanation of, the cynical explanation of all humanity into a Black Mirror episode. All right. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Another cynical and bleak look at entertainment as a whole. It's like, come on, man. And then then after that, um, so I think it was like for the next two songs, I'm just like, I just want to read the description, right? Things it would be helpful to have known before the revolution and Ballad of a Dying Man. (laughs) (laughs) The first lyric is, Naturally, the dying man wonders to himself. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go again. And this-, <laughs> this fucking Edgar Allan Poe-ass motherfucker. Like, Jesus Christ, this shit is macabre. Things that would have been helpful to know before the revolution. On Genius, this is a description. This song chronicles a sort of post-apocalyptic world in the aftermath of several climate shifts. The defining details relate a world where humanity is now focused primarily on survival rather than the former exuberances of progress, quote-unquote. And the next song is the fourth song released out of uh, pure comedy. This song tells the story of a man who foolishly views his own social commentary as important to society at large. His death leaves him unable to continue critiquing his, uh, critiquing the world he leaves behind. And he mourns the universe's loss of a brilliant mind. And it's just like, oh man, this is heady, man. Come on. Like, and, and, and especially as someone, I know why he wrote this, right? Like, this yeah. is, he's a very, very self-aware artist. You know what I mean? He knows the critics got the eyes on him and that they praise him and criticize him. And so he brings that shit up in his music. But what's fascinating about it is that at the same time, it's a criticism of himself. And so it's just like, holy shit, this is just fucking brilliant as I take the time to listen to it. But again, it's like, Holy fucking God. Although I will say, when it did the little, just a little more time, with, with that shit hit in there, that was like fucking David Bowie levels of brilliance. With that shit hit, though, like I couldn't even front on that moment. My favorite track on the album is the first one. It's pure comedy. It's, uh, it kind of lays out the whole tone of the album. Again, nice sax solo. <laughs> little crossover from the English beat. It had this powerful yelling 
over the second chorus that was just awesome, had a very, very powerful intro. He brings the fucking powerful lyrics that are just like, ooh. Like in uh, Things It Would Have Been Helpful to Know Before the Revolution, which uh, kind of, like you had said, it, it kind of warns of climate change and points out how life would uh, regress and we would revert to our uh, primitive ways after a while. There's one fucking part in that song that I had to write down. Um, the nightlife and the protests are pretty scarce. Now I mostly spend the long days walking through the city, empty as a tomb. Sometimes I miss the top of the food chain, but what a perfect afternoon. God damn, that's beautiful. <laughs> like, the son of a bitch. The complexities with which he fucking puts in this shit, it's just... Ah. Ooh, this is... You need to be in a mood for this. Yes. Because... If you are any way down in the dumps, this is not going to help. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is quite a downer. Like, if anyone's heard the song, um, Nothing But Flowers by uh, Talking Heads. Oh, yeah. That song also kind of, like, talks about, hey, you know, what What if we woke up one morning and all the malls and shopping centers or whatever were, they weren't there anymore. And they were just replaced with fields of flowers, and we had to hunt and gather for our food and all this, whatever. But that song is like, like it's very upbeat and poppy. It's not fucking droning piano. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of has that nice little offset of like, you know, it kind of lets you know, hey, isn't this beautiful? Aren't these flowers nice? Man, I'm sick of this shit. Like, it gives you the, like, back and forth, like, the... It gives you the balance of emotion. This is just... That scale is tipped all the fucking way into solemn. (laughs) The lyric here, uh, where where he says, uh, on birdie, which, you know, it's like every time you feel like it's getting too heavy, he puts in something that's so clever, you have to give it up to him, Right? He's telling, like, this bird to fly high, and he's like, are you really as free as all the great songs would have me believe? Let me tell you why someday, Birdie, you're going to envy me. Some dream of a world written in lines of code. Well, I hope they engineer out politics, romance, and edifice. Two out of three ain't bad. Some envision a state governed by laws of business, merger and acquisitions instead of violence on nations. Where do I sign up? It really is, like, the way I'm saying is, this just feels like I'm just saying, like, a dissertation... On, you know, the, 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 the futility of men's devices or whatever. You know what I mean? But it's just set to music. But it really is so incredible how he, like, every now and then that twist of phrase just makes it brilliant in a way. Like, he is very verbose, but he's not boring. Yeah, there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek that kind of walks you back from that ledge of, like, there's almost hopefulness in his humor. So many of these songs end, like, unfinished. You know, especially Birdie, where, and I remember I wrote this down, I was like, this motherfucker's making, like, late romantic German leader out this motherfucker. (laughs) Like, fucking Schubert and Franz music and shit. I really liked how he kind of had, like, experimental sound, like, electronic sounds in that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Okay. Oh, Oh, no, yeah, that one was a good one. I was about to take it to leaving L.A., How'd you feel about leaving L.A.? The 13-minute, as he describes it, some 10-verse chorusless diatribe. He's not wrong. Uh, look, <laughs> when I first heard it, 
I was just mm. like, okay, I realize it's good. It's artistically, it's got all the orchestra and all this stuff, but I'm just like, mm. it just felt like a bunch of disparate things he was just saying. Until yeah. my friend, who is a big fan of his, was like, well, actually, hold on. Let's let's look at this, what he's saying. Like, play that back. And I was like, oh, shit. This is genius. I can't even get mad at it. But it's still fucking 13 minutes long. Yeah. Um, I totally feel the um, play is all that jump shit. I used to like this guy. This new shit really makes me want to die. Um, again, that self-awareness is uh, fucking great. My, uh, my two favorite parts, uh, well, I like the one part where he says, uh, she's like, oh great, that's just what we all need, another white guy in 2017 who takes himself so goddamn seriously. Yes! See, here's the thing about this song as well, like, you're, as long as this song is, and as much as it may feel like a slog or whatever, like, you're not gonna come out of the song without liking one lyric in here, at least. <laughs> there are parts. Some verses are better than others. My favorite is the one where he says, um, like, my introduction to music when I, is when I was in a JCPenney with my mom and I was choking on a watermelon, like, Jolly Rancher or some shit. And, like, my mother was calling for someone to help me, but it was in that moment I realized that, like, the music doesn't stop just because someone dies. Like, this shit doesn't care. It oh, moves man. on. Ones I thought were kind of not, that didn't hit as hard. Uh, Birdie, I thought was alright, but it wasn't one of my favorites. Uh, same with uh, A Bigger Paper Bag, which varied more in instrumentation, and it kind of had jazzy bits, but I wasn't as hooked uh, lyrically with that one. But when God returns, there'll be hell to pay. When the God of Love returns, specifically. The God of Love shows up, and this dude just fucking gives out to God about all of Earth's, like, shortcomings in such a snarky and sassy way. I love the parts, uh, says Jesus, you didn't leave a whole lot for me. If this isn't hell already, then tell me what the hell is. That's a great part. And we crawled out of the darkness and endured your impatience. We're more than willing to adjust. And now you've got the gall to judge us. Oof. Mm. And the ominous choir that's in the background of that one. Oh, I love that song. <laughs> the last lyric where he says, uh, try something less ambitious the next time you get bored. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> Something better in your skill set, maybe. <laughs> Smoochie, Smoochie Boochies, another song. Um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> Look, he and loves it, his wife, man. I did not really care for that song at all. It felt so formulaic compared to the rest of the album. You know what it felt like? It felt mm. like, oh my god, okay, I have to give them something else. <laughs> <laughs> like, the label's like, come on, man. An hour and 20 minutes. Please, just <laughs> replace... You already have one 13-minute song. Can you replace that other 13-minute song with something nice? Yeah, right? Two wildly different perspectives, which reminds me of Two Swords from the English Beat album. Now, it sarcastically says how, like, you got two people arguing a point. Uh, if you really break down... Uh, either like their their approach or their 
their position in what they're arguing, uh, they're actually not so different. I thought that was interesting. Uh, he broke that down in a, in a pretty cool way. Yeah, uh, especially the lyric where he says, one says, uh, take what's yours. The other says, live on no more than you can afford. But either way, we just possess and everyone ends up with less. So, and I thought that was interesting because, um, especially when the Genius article says, um, pa- paraphrasing, but is like the conservative mindset is, you know, we should have le- laissez-faire politics, you know, uh, let the markets do what they want. And, you know, of course, that's going to end up with a lot of poor people because people monopolize and take advantage of things. And then we're saying, well, but on the other end of the spectrum, when you have the whatever Marxist or whatever the fuck ideology where it's like, well, uh, these people can control this and that, like, you know, everyone gets gets everything equally, exactly equally. When you take it to both of these extremes, they're kind of like basically most people end up, you know, living less of their potential than they can. That's what he ends up saying. You know, everyone just ends up with less when you have the other hand where it's like, well, uh, this thing is systematically being taken away by the unfairness of capitalism or whatever. But then if you have the other hand where it's like, well, such and such regime makes it so that people cannot have uh, certain things if they want to strive for whatever. Now, I don't know exactly what everything breaks down with this. I, I wasn't about to fact check. Yeah, that, that's the thing. I was like, I get what he means. Yeah, if we wanted to talk about extremes, which, you know, a lot of our fucking news likes to put on, they like to put on the extremes of every it's, fucking thing. It's very black and white, yeah. Yeah, and very so I, 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 that's what I took it as. I took it as him speaking to that. Now, on an individual pe- person-to-person basis, I think we can definitely be more realistic about, you know, wh- what what issues are, but I feel like... What he's specifically speaking to in this instance is the, like you said, the black and whiting of certain situations that make it so that you either have to go with one extreme or the other. The memo kind of feels like a 70s drinking song, I thought. Kind of like a song like when you're watching an old movie and there's like just a song playing at the bar. Kind of felt like that. (laughs) The fucking first lyric. I'm going to steal some bed sheets from an amputee. Where else can this song go, man? <laughs> and it's weird. Like, that's totally, like, that doesn't even feel related. Yeah, right? It's like, this, that starts off, like, sounding like an insane clown posse song. I stole some bed sheets from an amputee. <laughs> it is a good attention getter. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll give him that. Um, the song has an interesting thing towards the end where he starts kind of arguing almost with a uh, text-to-speech program. That was... Oh, oh shit. Okay, so I gotta say, that was like the crux of the fucking album. (laughs) When the beat slows down. And it's just this robotic voice saying things like, this is totally the song of my summer, and music is my life, and he totally gets me. Like, it really does make it seem that much, like, it makes it seem that much more trivial in the way it's presented. And the song is basically about the algorithms of, you know, Rhapsody and Spotify and all Mm. this shit. And the the commodification of your data. You know, with the lyrics where he's like, do you usually listen to music like this? And it's like the way he's saying it that makes it so much more impactful. Like, this is a dude who realizes how a beat change can impact how the lyrics hit you. You know what I'm saying? The part I have written down is he says, uh, keep the golden calf, just need the bullshit, (laughs) and they won't just sell themselves into slavery. They'll get on their knees and pay you to believe. 
with lyrics like that, this, it's very easy to get into the uh, whining emo territory, right? Of the, oh, yeah. you know, society's bad, and you know, did uh-huh. you know that politicians lie? You know, like. <laughs> yeah, if this was done by anyone else, it totally would have felt very, very, like, immature. But he has a way with words that. Even if the things he is arguing are very, like, cliche or whatever, he really makes it seem like this is really fucking up his day. Like, <laughs> this this song, the memo in particular, actually, yeah, I, I looked at my notes, I, I, I remembered that. Yeah, it's like the beat has this unassuming, almost laid-back country beat to it, you know? You're so right. The second verse is all about, like, Basically, it's the the typical sort of like, oh, you know how mainstream pop is. You know, they just get five white kids who are, you know, unassuming and they just put them in a group. And it's just like anyone else saying this would be so like, yeah, we know. But it's just like it's just delivered so intricately and, and, and in a way that really sticks to you, you know? The last two tracks uh, didn't hit me as hard as the other ones. Yeah. Which... You'd kind of think, especially since they're both kind of about dying, mm-hmm. um, that they would be more impactful. But for me, they were just kind of, uh, kind of middle of the road. I think the in my opinion, I think the in twenty years or so was also about global warming, wasn't it? And this is like, there's only so many times you can make the life is gonna end and it's gonna be horrible song before it starts to lose its effect. Like I was really fucking feeling this album at the beginning. But it got to such a point that by the end, I just found myself like the ratings of the songs were just getting lower and lower because either he was rehashing points, like like I said before, or it was just kind of, it was becoming monotonous because it was such a beatdown. When I started this album rating songs five and four and a halfs, I ended up coming out with an average score of three and a half. I gave it a four. As a cohesive listening experience, it's just like, holy god, man. It does make me want to uh, listen to his other albums, though. Oh, yeah. No, I de- see, this is the thing. Like, I still want to listen to him. It's not- <laughs> this isn't a don't listen to this album, but it is definitely a, uh, you know, maybe listen to it after you've gone to, like, Six Flags or something like that, you know? Like, you had a really good day. back from Six Flags? Oh, my God. You know, you had a really good day. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I need to balance this out. Well, folks, uh, that about wraps it up for this week's episode of the Going Off Podcast. Thank you very much for checking us out. If this is your first time with us, thank you very much. You can check out all of our old episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search Going Off Podcast. That's G-O-I-N apostrophe off podcast. Uh, both the albums we reviewed this week were Patreon requests, so if you'd like to request an album to be reviewed on the show, head on over to either patreon.com slash rapcritic or patreon.com slash muse for details, follow us on Twitter, subscribe to us on YouTube, and until next week, for the Going Off Podcast, I'm Muse. And I'm the Rap Critic, and dealing with these last few political years has made me appreciate the value of escapist entertainment.